<laughs> no. Hey, uh, there are two things I really enjoy. I enjoy when smart people get together. And you and I have talked often, Bob. I love road trips, right? Yeah, love them. We're going to talk about smart people getting together for road trips with our guest, author Wes Davis. Wes, good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Uh, we're all kind of excited about no. getting out of the studio, moving into our new one. So. Yeah, I can hear that. I'm honored to be here for the last broadcast. Yes, you will be, uh, you will be the last guest in this studio, as a matter of fact. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was really fascinated by uh, this book and this story. Um, Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, two of the great intellects of our time, um, and others got together and, and did road trips. Now, I mentioned this to Bob Slider, my producer. Bob says, well, I know all about it. I, yes, I'm, I'm very aware of that. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that until I came across your, uh, your book, but I really want to talk a bit about it. How did these guys get together? I mean, how did, this, how did this come? Apparently, it wasn't one road trip. It was many, but how did they start this thing out? Yeah, well, so uh, Ford and Edison had known each other for, for some time, uh, Ford actually worked in the 1890s at the Edison Illuminating Company in Detroit. Now, he was chief engineer there, and he wound up traveling to Brooklyn to a conference where he met the boss, started telling Edison about his plans for an internal combustion automobile, and Edison loved the idea, and they, you know, so that started their friendship. But it, it wasn't until Ford met Burroughs that this whole thing really blossomed. John Burroughs. Uh, your listeners... John Burroughs, your, your listeners may not know that name, but John Burroughs, early in the 20th century, was one of the most popular writers in the country. He was a nature writer who uh, focused on bird life and you know, the behavior of, of other wildlife, knew you know, everything there is to know about the botany of this country. Uh, he had traveled with people like Teddy Roosevelt and John Muir. He knew Ralph Waldo Emerson and Walt Whitman. And Burroughs, uh, was important to Ford because uh, Ford was himself really interested in bird life. And so he started reading. Ford was not a great reader, but he started reading uh, John Burroughs' books. And then he came across an essay in The Atlantic at the end of 1912 in which Burroughs argued that the automobile was going to destroy our appreciation of nature. <laughs> oh, and interesting. as you can imagine, uh, Ford did not agree with that. So he wound up getting in touch with Burroughs and offering to send him a Model T. And that's how I discovered the story. I was working on Burroughs and digging through his correspondence, and I found a letter in which he tells a friend that Mr. Ford of automobile fame wants to send me a, a new car. And he was initially not interested in doing this, uh, but I, I think you know Ford was one of the most famous men in the country at the time, and I think Burroughs was interested in meeting him. So he agrees... Ford sends him the car. They wind up traveling together, just the two of them, up to Concord, Massachusetts, where Emerson and Thoreau had lived. Um, and then Ford introduces Burroughs to Edison, and this whole thing just takes off. And so, I, as you say, I follow a whole series of trips. But leading up to this really epic trip down into the Smoky Mountains in 1918, which passes right through your territory there in, uh, in West Virginia, what, um, I mean, what, they just, it was just a, a typical road trip like, you know, Bob and I might take, just they were just roaming the country looking to see what they could see, or did they have a point to these things? Were they trying to make a point or prove a point? What was, just, why were they doing it? 
Yeah, well, in a way, I think that it was an effort to escape from the kind of modern world that Ford and Edison had themselves created. You know, um, this is a time when the population of the United States is, for the first time, shifting towards cities, uh, away from farms. Ford and Edison and Harvey Firestone, who also accompanies them, and Burroughs himself, had all grown up on farms. And so I think they were nostalgic for that rural way of life. So in that sense, it is like the road trips you take. They're just, you know, wandering through the countryside. But it's different in the sense that none of the things we associate with road trips, the whole culture of the roadside, you know, motels, gas stations, mm -hmm. fast food restaurants, uh, garages that can repair things, none of that really exists. Uh, so they're traveling over just terrible roads. Uh, and Edison, who plans the routes, always wants to get into the most rugged territory, the highest mountains, you know, the, the <laughs> muddiest roads. Um, and, you know, so they're, they're negotiating all that, and in, they're also dealing with automobiles that are still a kind of infant technology. Right. Uh, so there are many occasions when cars break down, and it's Henry Ford, you know, at, at the time, I think the richest man in the country, who takes off his jacket, rolls up his sleeves, and gets underneath the car and, and figures out how to repair it. Well, you, you, you said, you know, you don't see roadside garages and so on. It probably weren't any, if, or weren't many, if any, because this is the guy who knows how to fix the car because he made it, right? So it would, it would exactly. be logical. He's the, he's the guy who fixed it. I guess he would know how to change a tire, probably. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> right. And, you know, even more severe uh, problems, he... He has a brain that can figure out what to do. So in, in one instance, uh, a, a very sort of specialized kind of U-bolt shears off the suspension of Thomas Edison's car, and uh, Burroughs sends every, uh, sorry, Ford sends everyone else along in, in the other vehicles, and he gets under the car, finds this bolt, you know, recognizes that it would take forever to, to actually get a replacement, but he sees a threshing machine working out in the field, so he walks out and, you know, flags down the farmer, finds a bolt on the threshing machine that he can modify. To, may, I bar you know, may I borrow your bolt, please? Yes, exactly, right. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that's fascinating. I have to assume, Wes, that the conversation was a bit more... Listen, Bob Slider and I occasionally take a little road trip. We're usually talking about food. I mean, that's generally, generally like, what are we going to eat? What, what are we going to have for food? Do we have any snacks in the back? I have to assume it probably is pretty stimulating conversation in those, in those cars. Yeah, I mean, they talk about interesting things. And, you know, often it has to do with the natural world. So Burroughs, as I said, was an expert on, uh, on wildlife and botany. And so Edison would frequently grab a plant and take it to Burroughs to, uh, you know, to identify. Uh, and then... Edison himself, you know, is one of the biggest brains in the world, carries along a lot of information. So, uh, you know, he, he would often have discourses on chemistry and, and geology. And there's, there's one great moment where he uh, explains the exact chemical, which I think is called mercaptan, which gives uh, a skunk spray its, its foul odor. So they definitely had interesting conversations. They're also, of course, talking about the war, which is underway at this point. Oh, sure. Never thought about it. Yeah, right. Timing would be... Exactly. Yeah. How, where do they stand on the war? Uh, it's interesting. Initially, Henry Ford was absolutely opposed to U.S. involvement in the war. 
And in fact, in 1915, he had spent a small fortune sending uh, a group of anti-war activists to Europe. He actually um, commissioned the services of a, a steamliner to take this group uh, to The Hague to a meeting that was designed to negotiate a peace. That completely fell apart. I think he sort of thought he could tinker his way to peace the way he had tinkered his way to the Model T. Um, so he was against the war. Edison was um, working at the time for the Naval Advisory Board, using his scientific knowledge to come up with technology that could help bring the Navy into the modern world and give U.S. ships an advantage um, in, in ocean warfare. And, but Burroughs was, was extremely anti-German and was like following the, um, the newspapers very closely and cheering all of the Allied victories. And Ford eventually came around uh, after the U.S. joined the war. He converted his factories to production of, of uh, war material and actually used his new plant on the River Rouge to produce this um, patrol boat that the Navy called, called Eagle Boats that were designed to be produced quickly and um, give uh, the Navy an advantage against German submarines. They were very speedy boats that could track down and destroy submarines. Did they journal this? I mean, how do, how do, we, know, how do we know about these trips? Did they write letters? Did they write journals? Uh, keep daily? I, they were fans of Emerson, I guess. He was a journalist, but a journalist. Um, so, I don't know. How, how, did, how do we know all this stuff? Uh, yeah, so most of it comes from uh, John Burroughs' journal. He had kept a journal all his life, and it's, it's incredibly rich and just, you know, wonderful, a wonderful kind of glimpse of uh, the era through which he lived. Um, Ford does not write much. Uh, Edison keeps notebooks in which he keeps track of, track of ideas he's having along the way. Harvey Firestone uh, wrote up an account of the 1918 trip uh, Burroughs then wrote a separate account of that of that trip, uh, but a lot of it comes from uh, newspaper reporting at the time. Okay. Uh, you know, having people like this pass through your area was was a big deal, and so every town sent out a, a reporter, and I was able to follow very closely, you know, through the newspapers. But then also, I I knew which guidebook. Uh, Thomas Edison was using, which was called the Automobile Blue Book, so I could follow the, their itineraries and, uh, you know, really track their movements at a very close level. So it, all of this came together to, to give me this really amazing view of this story. They, they really did travel the country. You focus on one particular journey that we'll talk about in a second, but they kind of traveled the country, though, right? I mean, out west and here in the east and so on? Yeah, that's right. And so I mentioned the trip up to Concord, Massachusetts. Uh, they then go down to uh, Fort Myers, where Edison has a house called Seminole Lodge. Uh, and there is this kind of nice little vignette in which they go camping in the Everglades, uh, which turns into a kind of comedy of errors. Basically, everything goes wrong. Uh, their, their tents are knocked down by the rain, and, and people wind up sleeping in puddles. And uh, it's a, a nice story. Uh, Ford and Edison traveled out to the Panama Pacific Expedition in San Francisco, and the, 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 although that was by train, at the same time, their two sons separately were driving out to San Francisco, and I think it's the story of those 
road trips that really got this group, you know, determined to make uh, road trips of their own. So they then travel in 1916 up, up through the Adirondacks, across Lake Champlain, and down through the Green Mountains of Vermont. And then in 1918, we get this trip down into the, into the Smoky Mountains. Talk to me about that trip. What made that so interesting to you? Uh, I mean, partly it's personal. I, I grew up in northeast Tennessee right there in the, in the foothills of the Smokies. Uh, but, you know, that's also kind of the, the most remote area they went into. And it's, it's a world that they themselves felt somewhat alienated in. Uh, they start out in Pittsburgh, they, you know, because you have the Midwestern group, Ford and Firestone, and then the Easterners, Edison and Burroughs. So they meet in Pittsburgh and um, come down through West Virginia. And, uh, you know, they're, this is a country they've never been in, and they're really struck by the mountains. They're, they, at first, are kind of alarmed by the people who are who don't quite seem to recognize them the way people in the Northeast did. Uh, but it turns out that it's not that they don't recognize them. They just are maybe more polite. They, they just don't, don't approach care. them at first. <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. Uh, but once they start talking, you know, these turn out to be the most hospitable people uh, they, they ever encounter. And, you know, this is the trip on which they're, they're, the most iconic photo of this trip actually comes from West Virginia, a place called Lead Mine, uh, which is north of, of Elkins. And they, they camp on a creek called Horseshoe Run. It's, that's uh, north of Elkins. But Lead Mine is where they visit this um, abandoned mill with a great sort of uh, overshot water wheel, and they climb all over this wheel. And from that point on, they can't pass a water wheel or a, a grist mill without stopping to, you know, to explore it. And, uh, you know, this, the use of water power becomes a kind of obsession with them, and after this trip, Henry Ford actually starts to open a whole series of small factories uh, built at abandoned mills so that he can use water power to run the factory, produce just a few small parts that will be shipped you know, to a central facility to assemble the cars. But his idea is that uh, the, the kinds of communities they passed through in 1918, these small farming communities, you know, often in the mountains, can be kept alive by little factories like this because you can give farmers work in the off season, um, then they can tend their fields uh, in the in uh, the summer. And I think one of his goals is to really not let that agrarian way of life disappear from the country. How long do these road trips go on? When did they come to an end? Uh, you, you mean when did they stop doing them all together? Yes, that's what. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, so it's in the 20s. They continue into the 20s. Um, I, I stop with, I, I tell the story of the 1918 trip, and then I use 1919 as a kind of epilogue. But John Burroughs, um, his health started to fail in, in the early 20s. He, he dies in 1921. And at that point, the trips kind of changed their character. Um, they become larger. Other members of the Ford and Firestone families go along. It just it all expands. In fact, um, you know they start to have uh, teams of reporters following them, uh, cameras following them. On one of these trips, um, Firestone actually brings a string of ponies so that people can ride, uh, and it, it, it be becomes a kind of media circus at that point. So I think everyone involved. 
pointed to 1918 as, you know, the, the kind of peak of this experience. Yeah, it sounds to me like those latter trips, the ones you just were talking about, I would not call them road trips, you know. I mean, the sense of, you know, people getting in the cars and driving. Uh, Wes, uh, yeah. I, I surprised Howard a little bit when he asked me if I knew that uh, Ford and Edison were buddies. And I said, I did, but I heard more of those stories from, uh, I don't know if this is legend or if they were ever proof to this, but uh, them two and some other of their wealthy buddies, uh, Carnegie, Mellon, uh, were responsible for the Johnstown flood because of their, their hunting lodge. Uh, have you heard anything of that? Do you believe that? I have not heard of that. Yeah, that's definitely something I would want to look into. You might want to check into that, Wes, because I think it does have a lot of credibility. They built this uh, hunting and fishing lodge with a dam, and uh, that is what gave way and led to the Johnstown flood, and the only reason that they never came to justice is because they had so much power, and they, they were get, able to get out of that. So check that out. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's really funny. I actually studied that flood uh, probably close to 40 years ago, and, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the flood and its devastating effects, but I don't recall that part of it. I will say that uh, Ford was certainly interested in damming rivers. I mean, that was, uh, you know, that was in 1919, he takes this group uh, up to Green Island on the Hudson and has them chisel their... Uh, initials into the cornerstone of a power plant he's building there that draws uh, power from a dam across a portion of the Hudson River at that point. So uh, that part of the story does not sound improbable to me. Well, check it out. But I'm telling you, Mr. the only guy that uh, will, will tell the guest story <laughs> that they didn't know. <laughs> Slider, that's good. Wes, I found the book fascinating. I really appreciate your time this morning. Um, I said I, two things I love to, to hear about are uh, great minds getting together and road trips. That to me is just I, I love the whole concept of that. And and uh, this was uh, these were fascinating times. I did not know, unlike Mr. Slider, I did not know uh, that Ford and Edison, you know, got together this way with John Burroughs and others and took the trip. So. I pre the book is called um, American Journey on the Road with Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, and John Burroughs. And you may want to, if you're a history fan, you may want to grab that and, and uh, take a look. And then maybe it will inspire you to go on your own road trip with a smart person. I don't know who that would be, uh, but you can give it a try. Hey, Wes, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. I enjoyed talking with you. All right. Have a good day. Wes Davis, uh, the book, uh, American Journey on the Road with Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, and John Burroughs. You never heard of that? Read that, Howard? No, I didn't. No, seriously. And I think it's true uh, that you know they had so much power, so much wealth that they were able to get out of it. But it was their fishing slash hunting cabin they dammed up, and that's what caused the uh, the, the huge uh, Johnstown flood. Well, I know. I'm sure that you that you believe that they got out of it because you you believe the world conspires. Well, know? I also read Howard. <laughs> I you know you know yourself. If you're wealthy, you got a lot of better chance of getting out of it than the poor person. I'm thinking about that. Yep, guess you're right. Uh, 938-22 till the hour, Watchdog Morning Show, final check of news for you, uh, and then we'll uh, head uh, head up to uh, Bob Westfall and Channel 7, and then we'll get out of here because they got hammers and crowbars and stuff standing out in the hallway. They're kind of giving us the eye, Bob. It's, uh, you know, it's, I, we're going to get out of here. We're going to have to get out of here for sure. <laughs> <laughs>